The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit with a mission to connect people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River Basin through Indigenous voices. Find out more at confluenceproject.org. Welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. The coronavirus pandemic has kept us from seeing family and friends for so long. And we've had to cancel or delay meaningful rituals like weddings and birthdays. For the Indigenous people of the Northwest, coronavirus has also halted ceremonies, powwows, and kept extended family apart. But Native people have a long history of finding resilience, comfort, and strength. On this episode of the Story Gathering Podcast, we hear from members of two Northwest tribes and about how stories and traditions and the landscape itself have helped them stay connected. Emily Washines is a member of the Yakima Nation, and Josiah Pinkham is Nez Perce. They may be enrolled in different tribes, but they are close relatives and share stories and history that stretch way back. They spoke as part of a Confluence conversation in 2020. So when they asked us how to organize this, um, we just picked out some videos and photos and thought, let's talk about these and let's connect with them and maybe give people some sense that they might look into their own videos, might look into their own family photos, might have more conversations, even through social distancing. You know, um, Josiah and I haven't seen each other in person throughout this entire time. And there's still ways that we can connect and use technology to um, connect with our culture. So um, we have a video of our nephew, Johnson, or J.J. Maninik. And he was dancing as a part of the social distance powwow and competition and commemorate different events. And a lot of those, due to what we're under right now, have been postponed or canceled. And so these dancers still wanted to be in shape and and share with the people. And JJ shares such a beautiful message in this um, dance. You know, he dedicated this dance to anybody that has lost anybody, um, had shared a message that he's um, representing his brother and sister that passed away a number of years ago. And, you know, he shared this message with such power and, and grace, if I'm allowed to say that, um, it, alongside this, you know, message of like, I'm here with you. I've, I've lost people. If you're in a circumstance and aspect right now where you're losing someone or you have a sense of grief or anxiety, this stance is for you. And I just thought that was um, so powerful to bring that message forward to anybody that might um, be losing somebody or obviously some people are in hospitals. I also wanted to turn this over to Josiah to explain a little bit more about the setting. He's at Clearwater Casino. And the sleeping chief is in the background. Well, of course, the, I, I have to begin by saying that, you know, the Nespers, like many other tribal people, always say that we've been here since time immemorial or time beyond memory. But archaeological evidence pushes that date back, um, and it keeps getting farther and farther. But that site where, where he's dancing is, um, I think, listed at about 9,000 years. And so it's interesting to um, see that connectivity both in time and place because um, that's one of the oldest places where it's uh, recognized as a village site for Nespers people but also the time frame in which it stretches back into 
there are many sites there within close vicinity of where he's dancing numerous story sites because of its age, you know, it's, it's emerged as um, a central area for Nespers people because of the prevalence of not only village um, activity, but also the connectedness with story. And there are probably too many stories in that area to go through here, but um, the, there's, there's one story about a frog there that uh, turned to stone. And then of course, um, what, is in the background of uh, where Johnson J is dancing is uh, is called Katsainomyats in Nespers, and that's that's the elbow child, but it has to do with uh, a story about Coyote going up river and he develops this sore on his arm and you know he against the guidance of um, you know his his uh, family he he basically continues to bother that sore on his elbow and it grows and it grows and eventually becomes a child that pops out and you know he as a man doesn't know how to take care of that child and so he entrusts it to um basically some sisters that tend to it for him and what happens is uh you know he he, he warns those those sisters you know don't always be tickling my my baby you guys got to let him rest and they go against his guidance and you know eventually they tickle his baby to the point where you know, they're throwing it back and forth and it, this baby is just, you know, with all glee going through the air, laughing and chuckling as it lands in the hands and arms of another sister. And it goes back and forth, back and forth like that until eventually, you know, they throw it up into the air and this baby lands in the arms of the youngest one. And unfortunately, that baby is dead. And oh, Coyote just loses it. You know, he's, he's like, he's distraught walking back and forth. Nobody's going to know that I had a baby. They're going to, you know, this this child would have grown up to be a great leader and taken care of the people. You know, he's just, you know, going back and forth, casting about like that. And um, eventually he, he puts that baby up on the, on the hillside and he puts a, a, the leader's headdress on it. You know, the Eagle feather headdress that's uh, well known. And um, they call that place Katsainomiats now. And you can see the profile of uh, Coyote's child up there. And so, you know, I, I think, um, it's it's really uh, difficult for uh, some people to to interpret that story, but what it has to do with is, um, you know, there is such a thing as um, as having too much fun. You know, there is such a thing as um, not messing around with complex systems, and that's that's what I bring away from this story. Uh, in in numerous instances, I. I I reflect on my stories because that's how I basically am taught to live in this world. And, you know, there, there are things that we can't play with because, you know, we can't do these things just for us. We have to carry this for something greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's what's, what's reflected through um, the story and how that connects to what Johnson Jay is going through. You know, he's, he's, he's not just carrying this grief for himself. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to serve as an example of how to, encounter this challenge that he's going through and that's what he's trying to remind us of us about is that you know we we can't go through this life just for ourselves and got to remember others yeah i mean it's so powerful to have these um be able to re- be reminded of these stories that are people have shared um family members have shared and be able to look up and see that and i think um, it might be true for you, but it's also true for myself that 
there's different points in my life where I look at the same thing and it brings a different message and it brings a different level of clarity. And when I heard you talking about, um, you know, not playing around on certain things and, you know, having to be serious to some regard and degree. I mean, it's so much the pulse that's happening right now. I mean, you know, there's a part of us that want that we're a community oriented people. We're tribally oriented people and we want to be with our tribal members and people in, in celebration and birthdays and, you know, having to adhere to a strict standard is, is difficult. There's a grief to that. There's a loss to that, even if we're still around in your presentations before I heard you talk about the power of having these um, culturally significant um, things that connect to our stories and our livelihoods here for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you explaining and detailing that out. Um, another um, aspect of that is also being able to not only look at landforms, but also what, uh, what else is around us um, stars, for example. Yep. Definitely. Um, yeah, I know that you've talked about um, the aspect of when you're feeling super um, anxious, when our people are not sure where to go, when we're looking to be guided, we have looked up and um, wanted to see if you had uh, more to add to that about what the stars bring to our people. You know, our people have been constantly doing that. And there's a story about why that's significant. and. The Nez Perce have a story, and this story is told by other people. It's told all the way down the Columbia River, and it has been for, um, you know, thousands and thousands of years. But Coyote tricked these uh, wolf brothers into going into the sky, and he marooned them up there because they were in awe. They were looking down at the ground, and, you know, these, these wolf brothers were looking and saying and remarking, about, oh, you can see all the way into Buffalo country, which, you know, is now Montana. You can see all the way down the Columbia River where we fish, and you know they were just in awe. And Coyote, he snuck away, and he marooned them up there with uh, two grizzly bears. And those two grizzly bears are—they um, point at what's called in uh, Nespers uh, Lukup Simai, and Lukup means something that shakes or shimmies, and Simai means to be without it. So they're looking at the thing that's unmoving. And see, Coyote, he—he he was back down on the ground, and. You know, he looked up there at what he had made and he said, this will be for the new people when they come. They'll look at that and they'll know how to travel and they'll know how to come back home. And so what he was expressing was the idea of how people utilize those things for travel. See, because there's a time when Nespers people were so young in their um, cultural lives, in their evolution, that they didn't know the homeland that they encompass now. And they had to utilize that in order to travel to these places to get to where they needed to be to gather foods and take care of one another. And then they would utilize that same star pattern, that asterism, to get back until they got to know, you know, where the where the different mountains and rivers were, where these locations, all these place names came to be. And they also used it to travel out to get to know Buffalo Country. And it was always that star that helped them to get to know their homeland. And the deeper um, teaching of that asterism, and in particular that star, is that that's what the people use to travel out to these different places 
and the people throughout time experienced all manner of different trips. There were good trips and bad trips and everything you can imagine in between. But the same way that the people traveled out to get to know their homeland is the same way that our mind travels. And so every day brings challenge and your mind is presented with all these different problems that you're going to encounter. And the same way that the people throughout time had the ability to come back home is the same option that your mind has in encountering all these challenges that it's going to face throughout the day and throughout, you know, your, your year and your life. And so it's important for us to know exactly where our home point is for our mental health, because we have the option to bring our mind back home from all these various trips called anger and frustration and even the good ones. Because having that central place for your mind is called that, that, that sense of peace, that inner peace that is always there for you to help you to encounter these things that you're going to go through in life. And so this story presents executive function. It, 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 it gives us a coping mechanism. And it fosters mm -hmm. resilience that has empowered our people to survive in this particular area of the world for the thousands of generations that we've been here. So these, these stories, they're, they're entertainment for the young, and they're even entertainment for me, but without their constant presence in my life, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And without their constant presence in the lives of our people in the past, we wouldn't be where we're at. And so you cast that thinking forward, and you remember that you know, thousands of years into the future from now, our people are still going to be here and hopefully will be empowered with the presence of our stories and our songs and our teachings to, to, to basically convey who we are. When I was thinking about bringing this forward and what it might mean to the people, I thought about this aspect of, you know, in this teaching and how we teach our children, sometimes certain things come through and they hold it. Sometimes they get bits and pieces of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's important, you know, having, we both have children and being able to teach and, and have different points that we're reinstilling this information about our teachings, our stories, um, people, neighboring tribe stories, um, and trying to ingrain that in them, but also having a patience with it as well, knowing sometimes they might fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Some they might not be at a level where they feel comfortable in teaching it and um you know but really giving this as a tool for our people that you know saying that this is something that you can do the the sky and the, this message and these uh, are ingrained within mm -hmm. you um i know you know there's many times where i've gone out and just stared um at the stars and it yeah. it brings something were very uh, much a part of our traditional wedding trade. A lot of people mm -hmm. might not know that our um, people have um, weddings and wedding trades. And when I was going to get married, um, my now husband approached you and said, I would like to make um, Shaftahai, and I'll let you do mm -hmm. the Nez Perce um, pronunciation after. But um, okay. So he traveled over to um, make that with you. and. We, you know, we've continued to make this throughout our lives here. This parflesh um, is also in English is called parflesh, 
you know, being able to paint with the same materials and methods that our elders have before is something that, again, is another strong connection point. You know, it's something that we've, again, used for our wedding trade, um, something that my husband made or my, I guess, fiance, if we go French, um, <laughs> made with you. <laughs> there he is. Um, before our traditional wedding, my husband cut his hair and we always laugh about that. I'm like, why did you... <laughs> <laughs> this is the time to have long hair. But um, I just want to turn it over to you to talk more about this and also give the Nez Perce pronunciation. Okay, so uh, what we're looking at here is um, John with a string of isoptikai that he had made. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty good hard work. But it was fun work because, you know, obviously, you know, my good friend and now brother-in-law was uh, – joining in with the, the, the experience and helping out. But the Asoptikai word breaks down into um, two components. And it's basically, it, it, it loosely translates to a skin to put things in. And these things were um, utilized in pairs for horseback travel. And everything and anything went into them, you know, food and clothing and trade materials, whatever you needed for, for your life basically went into those. And from what I understand, when these were made for wedding trades, the wedding trade is what basically um, recognized the, the marriage that was the close of the ceremony and recognized that union. And so when these things were made, they were made in pairs because that's how you put them on a, on a horse. In, in, in wedding trades, these contained the food items that were men's responsibility. So things like uh, dried fish and dried meat, while the beaded bags and the corn husk bags contained um, food items and things that were women's responsibility, such as dried roots and berries and that kind of thing. And so you can see that um, the plateau culture of um, ambilineality the value for ambilineality is reflected through that ritual exchange because um you know it was it was both men and women that uh or it was usually women that participated in this but it was always with respect to exchange of foods and items that were both men's and women's responsibility one important thing uh, that that i might mention about plateau cultures up and down the Columbia River, including the Nesperse, is that ambilineality means that both the responsibilities of men and women are honored equally. And that's mm -hmm. something that is uh, really important to call out, especially in today's day and age where, where things are kind of shifting back and forth. Plateau people have always been cautious about recognizing the efforts and responsibilities of both men and women. That's a powerful thing to think about. Yeah, and when you mentioned the um, men's items being in there, I, I had just gotten this flashback to our little bridesmaids and things. They were just, he was actually putting the um, the jerky and the men's items inside of the Sheptakai, and uh, they he looked up <laughs> and all his little nieces and nephews, he had given one a little piece. Then the next time he was getting busy and he was doing stuff and he looked up and they were all a little circle. Can we have <laughs> <laughs> they let their friends know and they're they're 
their brothers and sisters know like there's tricky over there we need to go so, um, that's always one of our favorite memories that's awesome going but yeah the power of being able to unite families and this message that it's not only just about about uniting you as people yeah. it's about uniting your entire families is another aspect of that um you know and and being able wow. to have a wedding that incorporated our culture was something that I had always dreamed of, you know, that I wanted to, uh, um, one of my biggest dreams was to have a family. I want to have a husband. I want to have children. I want to raise and instill and teach things and have them teach me things, um, which they make sure to do every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, wearing this, um, the traditional wedding veil that was made by my mother with different items that were collected throughout my life, um, you know, incorporating different elements within this veil that, you know, have been there for a long time. A lot of people, when they first look at some of our veils, they might think, why are there those coins on there? <laughs> um, why, why do you use dentillium shells? You know, these were status symbols. These were um, items that when you, you could see that they have them and they're wearing them, um, the brides, you know that there is a lot of care and status held with that, you know, and being a matriarchal society and so a lot of times where you could go and access foods um, was held by the women's um, family. There was a lot of strength and knowledge there. And sometimes, you know, they wouldn't know each other. Um, traditionally and historically there's been also accounts of sometimes when they would join together in a back in the day in traditional wedding ceremonies the women had a lot of choice so even though it could be an arranged marriage and there was families coming together how it's been described to me from some of Yakima's is that the bridesmaids would sometimes wear veils as well because they would show a picture of that and they they would say well because the woman had so much choice they could say like, no, nah, don't, don't want to do that. Don't want to move forward. But everybody would already had been gathered together. So they well, what about you? What about you? So I had always remembered that story um, from um, Patricia Ike. She passed away. And when I had my bridesmaids, uh, one of them was his cousin. So I was like, well, he's not going to marry her. <laughs> We're not going to have them wear veils. But, you know, being able to incorporate so many different aspects within our um, wedding is so much a symbol of strength for us and our family. Uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, where does this knowledge come from? You know, this aspect of be keeping your hands busy, um, of this teaching of making beautiful things, um, you know, and, and we, in our family, always think of our grandma Elsie. Yeah. And I think that for me in growing up, with the people that I was surrounded by all, all, all the elders that I had the honor of um, um, being blessed by their presence. I think that the reason why I strive to learn what I can is because they inspire me with their sense of responsibility. These are people of responsibility, not just to themselves, to um, their spouses, to their children and grandchildren, but these are people that honor responsibility to, 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 to endless things. And 
they feel that they're responsible for things that they can't even really conceive of connection to. And the reason why that's so powerful for me as a, as, as a member of, you know, an indigenous society is that I have to remember to push that sense of responsibility as far as I can to take care of much as I can. And that's what I saw in my grandfolks, you know, grandma Elsie included, you know, she was constantly busy making things because she knew that her life on this, um, in this place was limited and she had to busy her hands, busy herself to make things for her grandkids that she wouldn't see. And you and I are blessed with things that we could pass on to our younger people and say, you know, this is, this is what came from uh, your grandma, Elsie. And eventually her name will be lost in time, much like her predecessors. And she's not concerned about that. What she's concerned about is not making a name for herself, but contributing to something that's greater than herself. And that's what I feel is important is that, I constantly learn what I can be as curious about the world as I can so that I can interpret these things and pass them on. And eventually, you know, my, uh, you know, my name will be lost to time as well, but the teachings are what matter mm-hmm. and expressing the values that we share for, you know, the things that are important and, and contributing to our lifestyle. So that's what I saw in it. And being able to have these photos of our relatives, even just sewing, like I didn't think about how much I miss just seeing them active. Um, alongside even photos of them, you know, dressed in regalia and on horseback, but just so many different numerous things um, to make and do, even in the back of the station wagon, cutting out a um, wing dress on the way to a powwow, you know, she um, could hand sew and bead, you know, being able to look at the things that she prepared for, being able to have my first beading lessons from the, the beads that were on her carpet. I mean, that was a treasure to me just to walk in and just to hear her voice and hear her talking and, you know, just to be able to look at the beads and then to have her hand me a string and have that sense of belief. So, so, so for me, what I gather from it is that as I live and I grow, I, I cycle through these different personalities of people that I've been surrounded by, grandparents, um, aunts and uncles. And they help me to foster the person that I want to be when I'm their age. And so I have this really focused idea of the kind of elder that I want to be when I'm 70, when I'm 80. And it's a composite of all of these people that I've been surrounded by and how they not only carried themselves, but how they treated others. And that's something that I really strive for because I've, I've made mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm constantly striving to be like Grandma Elsie and my grandfather, Alex, and, you know, the numerous people that even, even those that are still alive and surround me today, you know, they're, they're not perfect by any means. Who is, right? Mm-hmm. But yet they establish for me that, that perfect person that I'm striving to be eventually one day. It's such a good message and to think about, you know, what is it that we can do each day to kind of bring something forward? Um, we're in a difficult time right now and we all need our own self-care in place. But in, an, in a lot of ways, some of our self-care is connected so strongly to those elders. And yeah. um, 
you know, I, I look for those messages and those texts and those pictures of what people are making and, mm -hmm. you know, hints at what either it's a design my grandma made or, oh, wow, that does look like this. And yeah. um, I, I appreciate that message being brought forward. That's Emily Washines, a member of the Yakima Nation, and Josiah Pinkham, who is Nez Perce. They spoke during a Confluence conversation in 2020. Thanks to our producers, Gretchen Kilby, Chris Lehman, and Lily Hart. To find out more about Confluence and the five completed sites along the Columbia River system, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Now, remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast. For more episodes, visit our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.